Welcome back to Point of View. Sticking around for another segment. Thank you so much for that. Dr. Scott Jensen, again, running for governor for the great state of Minnesota. Governor, uh, I'm sure you've seen the video now. The woman saying, I'm going to tase you. I'm going to tase you. Pulls out her nine millimeter, ends up shooting and killing Dante Wright, a 20-year-old young black man. It is uh, heartbreaking to say the least. So I guess just your assessment of what happened. And if you were to become the next governor of Minnesota, what are you going to do to stop this from happening in the future? Chris, being measured in a time of crisis is critical. I think the other night, Governor Wallace tweeted something about the life of another black man being taken. I think that's inflammatory. I think we really have to be careful with the issues. In a situation like this, what we have to hope for from our leaders is transparency, visibility, and communication. I hope that Governor Walls is in constant daily communication with the community leaders, black leaders, minority leaders, city council leaders, the mayor, the National Guard, the police force, the chief of police. Governor Walls cannot single-handedly stop this. He has to play that central role of, if you will, mobilizing the resources we have but again, transparently talking with the people, being on the streets, get out there, be visible, and you've got to communicate. For instance, it's so easy to have a knee-jerk reflex. When something like this happens, there is no reason for the legislature to start politicking within the first 48 hours about what it should do. There's no reason why people should make an assumption that because they got a three-minute news clip that they know what's going on. The way the information came to me was this way, Chris. I learned that a black man died at the hands of a police, a police officer's gun. The next thing I learned was that it was a woman police officer. The next thing I learned was is there was a woman police officer who was intending to tase, but inadvertently pulled the gun and shot the person. The next thing I learned was that this was a veteran police officer who has been highly regarded and served the Peacekeeper Brotherhood with terrific ability. And then the next thing I learned was that this police officer was working with someone who was still on the steep end of the learning curve. Each piece of information I got gave me greater and better context from which to say that my heart breaks for the Dante Dwight family. This is horrific. And yet it appears at this point in time that there's a lot more going on than simply someone's life being taken by a policeman's gun. I hear you. I'm gonna to get to some of that in a moment, but I guess I don't quite track what you're saying there because you know she was with the service for, with the uh, department for 26 years and I've, I've never worn a badge. And so maybe you can't answer this, but I don't, I can't track how you say I'm going to tase, I'm going to tase, and you think you have a taser. Someone with 26 years of experience, I would presume, would know the difference between the feel of a taser and a nine millimeter in their hand. How does that happen? Well, I, I guess, Chris, I don't go around holding taser units that have, if you will, the, the handle of a gun. But I know that in the moment of things, I know that positions in the moment when something happens that they hadn't expected, there might be 
an instant response that a physician or a surgeon might regret later. Uh, we might see an arterial bleeding pulsating with a large stream of blood, and we might immediately do something with our hand or with an instrument that later we regret. I think that somehow we have to be thoughtful and willing to press pause and again, go back to the communication with the community, be transparent, be visible. But our peace officers, our policemen, they have a tough job. They're, they're in the moment. And we get to sort of armchair quarterback. I just, I just don't think that we're necessarily appreciating the challenge of the work that our peace officers do. Well, Tria, I, I don't want to in any way feel like I'm not suggesting that. And again, I have never been in those shoes, so I don't fully understand. What I do want to do is share this with you, sir. I'm going to bring this up here. Um, this this is the city manager of Brooklyn Center. I want to share this clip with you, and then I want to get your reaction and tell you what happened, okay? All employees working for the city of Brooklyn Center uh, are entitled to due process with respect to discipline. Uh, this employee will receive due process, and that's really all that I can say today. Uh, all employees Sir, working for the city of Brooklyn. That gentleman, because he said that all employees are going to get due process, was fired that night. Your response to the fact that he was fired for suggesting due process. I was not aware that he was fired. I, for me, I think that's regrettable at multiple levels. I think we have got to stop the knee-jerk reflex. As leaders, we have an obligation to try our best to gather all the facts. I remember when I was a resident in my training in medically, one of the things I appreciated so much about our residency director was he didn't throw us under the bus without getting all the information. And I think that for that gentleman to get fired for what he said is premature and disappointing on so many different levels. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, obviously the city can make their own decisions, but um, yeah, they, they did some votes and ended up, he ended up being gone. So last question, sir, I meant to ask us to ask you this in the first segment. Um, when you look at the COVID fight and all the different variants that are going on, do you think we're in the third inning of this fight, the seventh inning? I mean, how would you assess where we're at in this fight for, against COVID? Perhaps the seventh inning stretch. I think you know a fair amount of what's going to take place already take place. The starting pitchers are probably gone. We've got the relief pitchers in. Uh, we can see the end of the game in sight. I think we're going to win this battle. I think when it's all said and done, we're going to see that the actual – Infectious fatality rate was dramatically lower than what it was originally uh, predicted to be. I, I I have a lot of hope. I hope, though, that in the next few weeks and months to come, we continue to be measured. We need to realize that the collateral damage from what we have done with some of our policies has very likely been humongously greater than we realized we had a patient last week in our practice commit suicide. I had another a person reach out to me last night about their son committing suicide four weeks ago. I had a previous 25-year-old young man commit suicide. The collateral damage 
is only yet, is not yet begun to be realized how deep and pervasive it is. Boy, very well said. I'm hearing uh, some pretty amazing stats about what's happened as far as suicide rates as well. Um, one more question, sir, then we'll give you the final word. As you're traveling across the state or making phone calls in your gubernatorial campaign, what's the number one issue that you're hearing from your constituents? Safety. I think I think my constituents don't feel safe. They don't feel that the streets are safe. They don't feel that people living in long-term care facilities are safe. I don't think they feel students have been safeguarded. I don't think that the way we've governed ourselves has been safeguarded. Even election processes aren't safe. I think we really need to ask ourselves, what do we do to help people feel safe? And this is on multiple levels. Even from, if you will, a budgeting process in Minnesota, a lot of people take it very personally when Minnesota starts spending in a way that isn't sustainable. Because if it isn't sustainable, it's not safe for our children's future. So I think that word safety is literally spreading its its tentacles across so many of our, our concerns and our crises today. Uh, I apologize, Dr. Jensen, because you're such a great guest. And now we've got you know a beautiful audience joining us. So I got to ask you about this as well. I know you retweeted this out, but Governor Wallace says, hey, I'm going to extend on my emergency powers for another 30 days. He says power, for example, the state vaccination site he's visiting today would take six months to stand up, not six days. Just your reaction to him extending this even longer. And if you were elected governor, would you forego these executive emergency powers? So Governor Wallace tells us that the state vaccination site he's visiting today would take six months to stand up. Thank you so much to Dr. Scott Jensen for his time and insight there. There's a lot more to that interview. So if you want to see it in its entirety, please just go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash POV now. Again, facebook.com forward slash POV now. All right, stay with us. We come back. It's our leadership quote of the day and an incredible guest coming up on tomorrow night's show. I'm going to tell you about that right after this. Please share your point of view with us. Email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back.